Today, uh, we continue our series, Better Bible Study, and today we're going to look at a new theme, but I wanted to review, and I think David did this last week, uh, some of the themes that Dave, uh, David uh, Capes and Mark Lanier have been going through, and each of these are overarching themes in Scripture that while you're reading and studying, if you have advanced knowledge of these things, you can be what? Looking for them as you study. And so it, it would make your study go a little bit faster than if you're having to figure it out all on your own. Uh, I grew up in a church up in Dallas, and uh, I went to church every time the doors were open. We lived like five minutes from the church, and I always loved going to church. My dad was the senior high school senior adult, and oh no, I'm sorry, high school senior uh, director of the of the Sunday school class. And so he would go up to the church a lot of times on a Saturday, and he would set up everything. And my dad was very creative, so he would do like a paper mache waterfall, or um, uh, he would build a barn. He would do all kinds of things that would be ready for the kids when they would come to uh, church the next day. So I spent a lot of Saturdays at church, and I couldn't really help build paper mache waterfalls. I mean, these were big things and very intricate. Um, so what would I do? I'd spend the whole time exploring the church with my Cub Scout flashlight uh, that I had handy with me and uh, look at all the, the nooks and crannies. So at that church, they established in me a great foundation of God's Word. But the one thing that I was never really encouraged to do is to read the Bible from beginning to end or the whole thing. I, I was never, we were always encouraged to have devotionals where we'd read scriptures and some commentary about it. It wasn't until I got to college, I went to Baylor, and I was a communication major, and today we're going to be talking about communication. Um, my junior year, uh, junior year, I was uh, at Calvary Baptist, and they said, we're going to have the whole church read through the whole Bible in one of those one-year Bibles. Have you seen those? It has a New Testament, Old Testament, Psalm, and Proverb. And so if you want one, you have to go buy one. And I was the college student, but I was thinking, you know, I've never read the Bible. That would really be a good thing to do. And so since then, uh, from, from, well, from a decade from that point as a junior in, at college, I read through the one-year Bible and I used a different color pen to mark and underline and make notes so I could track which year that I made those notes. After 10 years of reading the Bible, it was amazing how you could begin to connect cross-references of things that we talk about in the Old Testament, how it referred back to the New Testament, and how the New Testament will look back on the Old Testament. And I had never had that experience, and never would have, had I not spent 10 years reading through the entire Bible, year after year after year. How many of you have read through the entire Bible, the whole thing? Now, put your hands down. How many of you have definitely not? No, Ken, don't raise your hand. <laughs> That's something that you want to leave today and uh, either get your app, and there's a lot of Bible apps now that can help you read through the whole Bible. If you need a paper Bible, you have to order it from Amazon because I don't think we have any Christian bookstores around here anymore, do we? But all, all of them are gone, which that could be sad commentary on uh, our area. But you need to read your Bible, and these themes that we have here, you need to put up in the margin of the first page so that you can be tracking those themes. And so today, we're going to move on to a new theme, and that is communication. Um, as we communicate to God, as man communicates to God, what do we call that? Yeah, that's exactly. You have to think about it for a second, because it's weird calling it communication. But we, we pray to God, we communicate to Him. Does God then communicate back to us? 
What do we call that? Hearing. Sure. <laughs> well, really, we call it prayer. Why? Because we, we consider prayer two-way co- communication, don't we? So when we pray to God, we listen to God. He's speaking to us. Both ways is prayer. But So it doesn't get too weird. We're just going to call it communication. So I wanted to start off, and I forgot to pull this out of my backpack, but I have it right here, to talk just a little bit about the idea of communication. And Mark Lanier talked about this a few weeks ago. And here it is. This is his. Let's see if I do this. There we go. So this is a basic communication model that I studied at Baylor. Uh, This is pretty classic, everyone who studies communication. And Mark has already marked it up, (laughs) appropriately so. Mark would mark up the page. That when you have communication, you have to have a sender, someone who is wanting to get a message out and, and basically encoding a message. How do we send most of our messages through a language? In our case, English, uh, a lot of different languages. Uh, but you would encode it into some kind of language, either written or verbal. So right now, as the sender, I'm encoding my message that I, I want to give to you through uh, the English language. And I send it through a channel, which uh, basically right now is this microphone, the speakers. It's order, the message is order, enabling to get to you, enabled to get to you. And then you are the receiver. You can see that there. And you have to decode what I'm encoding. So if you don't speak English, you're going to have a hard time decoding the message, right? So in order for me to communicate uh, properly, I want to be able to be speaking your language in a way that you could understand. Uh, There's also nonverbal communication that I'm also using to communicate to you. See, I said communicate me to you to, to make it clear. And if you're one of those people that is like ADD or XYZ or whatever the initials are, that you need a little extra something going on in order to keep your attention, I'm trying to help, you know, pull you in to keep you uh, interested in my message. Uh, if it's not interesting in and of itself, then maybe something else would be of interest to you. But if if I'm telling you something like, yeah, I really like talking to you. I've sent a message to you, right? But was I really saying what I was saying? You could tell by my nonverbal communication that I didn't really mean that. Maybe I was just trying to be nice and not very effective. So um, you encode the message so the receiver receives the message. And then all around the conduit, you have noise. So if the speaker wasn't loud enough, It's kind of like having a little bit of noise in or, or if someone kept uh, had their radio playing or maybe their phone had a alarm going off and that would be distracting. Those are elements of noise or static or, or something. Or maybe while we're in here teaching, someone's in the gym playing basketball. That would be distracting and that would be noise that would even though you could still hear me, you maybe you wouldn't be able to follow as well because some of the noise would be distracting you. And um and then we have the feedback is the other part of it. So while I'm talking to you, if you're doing this, the feedback you're giving me is that I am boring and I'm putting you to sleep. So I need that. I need good feedback to kind of know how I'm tracking with the message. If you keep looking at me and every once in a while I'll do this, then I'm encouraged and I'm liable to just keep going. And if you're just sitting there going... 
then I'll think, okay, they're done. I need to wrap this up pretty quick. So I'm going to be watching you to kind of feel a little bit of the feedback back to me so that I'm understanding how well I'm encoding the message, how well you're decoding the message and getting it altogether. So this is a communication model and what we're doing. Now, we're going to apply it to prayer, which Mark has already uh, set up here, that in, in prayer, we, we as the sender, depending on who you're praying to, in our case, God, you want to be able to encode your message in such a way that what? He hears you, he understands you, and he's motivated to be of assistance, to help you. Um, when God is the sender and he's talking to you, you want to minimize the noise and you want to be able to hear what God has to say. And, you know, one thing about God, he's been communicating for a really long time. He's really good at it. So if he's the sender and you're not receiving very much from God, what could that probably mean? The problem exists where? Maybe more with the receiver because unless you just believe that God's not really good at it, and then uh, you can talk to him about that as well, because uh, that's what prayer is all about. So that's just a little bit of basic stuff regarding communication that I, I love to talk about, and that's why I majored in it. Uh, I got stories and stories I could tell you about different elements of communication. And in fact, last night, my wife and I led a, a marriage class at the Filipino American Baptist Church just down the road on uh, communicating in fighting, fair fighting techniques. When you're having problems in a relationship, fair a fair way to engage in conversation that would be helpful and not hurtful. And um, so I really enjoy talking about this kind of stuff. But it gets even better when I can talk about it in the sense of our spiritual life, and how we interact with God and with each other. So I hope you hang with me today. We'll get through in um, record time. But the big deal is that communication is extremely complicated. You think it's bad between you and me. Imagine talking to a holy and awesome, sovereign, in control God who's not physically being able to be seen, that I accept him on faith, and I can't physically hear him. Maybe some of you have. And we can talk about that later. But without hearing, it would be easier if God would just, you know, from the clouds say, no, don't do that. Don't accept that position. I have something better for you next week. Just give it one more week. Wouldn't you like that? But do you hear that? No, we, we don't. Uh, there are exceptions and details that we can't get into, all those exceptions. But if God could just speak but but he doesn't he goes through a whole different process of how he encodes his message to get back to us regardless whether it's me to you or me to god it's extremely complicated it takes time so let me encourage you as you study god's word in this better bible study mark has given you a lot of great tips hints and helps it still takes time, 10 years to get really good at cross-referencing. And uh, someone that I've never seen do cross-referencing better than anyone, I, I'm, I didn't say that well, I didn't communicate that very well. The person that I know that does cross-referencing better than anyone I know is Mark Lanier. The way that he teaches, he's, he's, he's connecting things that I've never put together before. And that's why I love being in this class, because he's communicating uh, ways that I can understand who God is, but I can't just take Mark's word for it, right? If you're just listening to what he says and go, okay, that's it, then you're not going to grow as a Christian. You need to take these hints and helps and then apply it and actually get down in the dirt and do what Paul said, and that is to work out your salvation through fear 
and trembling. That doesn't mean figure out how you get saved. But once you are saved, you need to understand who you are in Christ and what he wants from you. And then to do what? Do it to obey and make it happen. Okay. So I've got three things for us today that we're going to go through. The first is God speaks. Second, man speaks. And finally, who's listening? If we're doing all the talking, who is listening? So we start off with the first one, God speaks. We're going to take probably the most time here. But um, when God speaks, he has power in his words. Have you noticed that? Of course. Here is from the very beginning. I love this quote. God spoke to nothing and everything was created. Do you understand? God created out of nothing. There was, there was nothing there to even do a bad job listening to him. There was nothing. And he spoke it and it was created. It became. And then he just kept on creating from there on and on. Let's just take a look at it. Uh, he starts off in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. So if you start reading your Bible today, you might want to start in Genesis. That's a great place to start. And then go to Exodus and then Leviticus, but do not go to Numbers and Deuteronomy. In fact, I'll try to email you uh, a, 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 a general list of books of the Bible to read in a different order. Because as Mark said, and David Capes reiterated it, and I see Charles Mickey here today, uh, the Bible is a library. Charles used to be the, the director of the library. He's the emeritus now, I believe. Emeritus, if I'm saying that right. But um, the Bible is a is a a library of books, so you don't have to read them from one to the end. In fact, uh, I think I may have told you all this before, but when I was at a, another church, I was an uh, education pastor, and I was doing executive work there, and I said, hey, let's have the whole church read through the New Testament in a year. And so after 30 days, about one month's worth, a lady came up to me, and she said, Brent, let me get this straight. I've been reading Matthew, and I uh, see that Jesus was born. He lived his life, told us parables, did miraculous things. He died on the cross, was risen again, ascended to heaven. And then he became a baby again in the next book. Like, well, no, no, no. Uh, that is another perspective of the same story. So the Bible is not meant to be read book after book after book necessarily. Uh, there's other good ways to read it so that you can enjoy the, the whole story. So I'll send one out to you. And there's a lot of good plans on your Bible app, so check that as well. But let's read. Uh, here is God creating everything out of nothing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light. And guess what? There was light. Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. God said, let the waters be gathered and let the dry land appear. And God said, let the earth sprout veg- uh, vegetation, plants, trees on the earth. And it was so. So, so far, God's 100% on track, doing everything that he wants to do, and everything is working. He goes on, and God said, let, there, let the light in the expanse of the heavens, let there be one to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. Is that still working today? God is that good. So, yeah, we still have a, a, a sun that tells us when it's daytime. And we see the moon. You see the moon recently? It's been really gorgeous. Uh, it's not, uh, like half and all these nice colors. It really seems to be really close. And that's the glory of God. God's creation is still working exactly the way he planned it to work. That is worship. When you're doing what you're created to do and you do it right, you're worshiping God just by obeying what he created you to do. How are you doing in that field? 
the sun and the moon doing a really good job. Uh, also, do we still use them to, to judge the seasons and um, the signs for the for the year? All those things. Yeah, we still do that just as God desired. So good job. Keep doing that. And, and God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth. OK, I saw that yesterday. I saw a lot of birds flying around. So I'm like, God, good. Things are still working uh, in the expanse of the heavens. Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind uh, cattle, creeping things. Uh, I was in my house and I was looking out of a little window in my door. And every once in a while, I'll stand on my tiptoes so I can look out and see the neighborhood and make sure everything's copacetic. There was this red wasp and he was crawling on the window. So I'm like able to get really close to this thing that I hate and scares me. I like, if I was on the other side, I'd be running away and then I'd find the wasp spray. And I would, before I even got like, like 60 feet, I would start spraying and then I would start walking closer because I hate those things and they hate me. Probably for good reason. But I was able to study it and be real close to it. It's pretty amazing how God created all of that stuff. The creeping creatures, uh, he made all those things. And then, and, he, and then it was so. So the next paragraph. Let us, God says, make man in our image according to our likeness. And God blessed them. God blessed man that he made in his image. And said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth and subdue it, be responsible for it, take care of it. And God saw that all he had made, and behold, it was very good, says Scripture. So God is very pleased and happy with what he has done and how he made it. And now we have the responsibility as image bearers of God, created in his image, to not only reflect God very well, but to take care of the earth that he also created in the sense that, as Mark has told us, we have responsibility to, to name the creatures. Um, that, that, that shows like a form of ownership. When um, you get a dog, uh, you usually get to name it unless you adopted it from a shelter that they make you keep the name. But if, if it's yours and you buy it, it's, it's yours outright. You, you name it. Because that's your responsibility, and now you're responsible for that animal. Uh, the same is true for a child, even though you don't really own it, but you're responsible for it to bring it up, and you, you give it a name, the child, male or female, whichever it is, you give him or her a name, and that shows that you're responsible for taking care of all the things that revolve around. So God's doing the same thing. He created us, he called us man and woman, male and female. Uh, of course, I don't know, you know, when God spoke all these things, we don't know what language he was using. It wasn't English, probably. It could have been. I wasn't there, so I don't know. But I wonder what God was saying. Or was he even speaking words? When God spoke, was it just something that you would feel in the depths of your chest? Uh, it's interesting to think about, but it's not important because God didn't tell us. And so uh, that's not important. What is important is that when God speaks, things happen. Very good things happen. So does that mean you want God to speak into your life? If when God speaks, the most powerful one in the universe, you definitely want him to be speaking into your life and you want to be able to decode it and hear what he has to say. The only way to do that is to know him, to be close to him. And the best way to do that is to have really good Bible study. So I'm going to do our points for home as we go. So we won't do them at, well, I'll, I'll recap them at the end. But uh, our point for home right now is trust and obey. Because when God speaks, he creates, he desires, he wants, he, he, he requires us to do his bidding and what he wants. Our job is to do what? Obey 
and we don't understand, what should you do? Just trust him. Is that what Noah did? It was accredited to Noah to faith, the work that he did when he built the ark, when he had no really understanding of why it was important for him to do that. Was it important for him to build the ark? If he hadn't, his family would not have been saved. That was the, the type of salvation for he and his family and a representative of all the animals. That's a really big deal. Noah did what he was asked to do without understanding it. Have you ever been asked to do something by God or you felt in your heart that God was wanting you to do something or to connect with someone, to minister to someone? But you didn't understand why you you didn't think that perhaps you had the right resources or enough resources that it might put you behind a little bit if you had to invest and in time or money or all these other things. Have you ever thought that? Probably. If if not, you should get with God a little more often because he's got some stuff like that for you. Um, But we have to trust him. And so that's a big deal that God speaks. We need to trust him and we need to obey because he is worthy of that. So further with God, he also has the written word. So important to see other forms of communication, some written words. Here we have Exodus 31. And God gave to Moses, or God gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him. So that was pretty cool. God was speaking right there with Moses. Moses could hear God, understand God, decode his message. And then uh, God gave him two tablets of the testimony. Tablets of stone written with the finger of God. God also writes words for us to understand. In fact, by the way, do you realize that Moses was the first one with a tablet that downloaded from the cloud? That's all you're going to remember today, isn't it? So another example of the written word is uh, here in Daniel. And there's several examples of the written word. I'm going to give you a couple more. Uh, Suddenly the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall in the king's palace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar grew pale. And it goes on, talks about uh, he was sinking because he was seeing this all play out. Uh, In verse 26, uh, sorry, that's not 26. Oh, yes, it is 26. This is later on when Daniel is interpreting it. It says, this is the interpretation of the message. Uh, I don't speak um, Nebuchadnezzarian language here, but maybe it's many. uh, but, But Daniel was there to interpret it. He says... This means that God has numbered your kingdom and he has put an end to it as Nebuchadnezzar sinks down further in his chair. Tekel, Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and you are found deficient. Paris, your kingdom has been divided. It would have been better maybe if he hadn't have had the translation and just saw, you know, the, the three weird words there. But He was able to decode because God allowed the interpretation. And Nebuchadnezzar was able to see what God had for him. God was talking to Nebuchadnezzar with a hand that was probably not God's hand, but God caused the hand. You know, God doesn't have hands. Y'all know that? God is spirit. And when we apply uh, human characteristics to God, it's like an anthropomorphism uh, where we say the mighty arm of God reached down and saved the day. Uh, That doesn't mean that God literally has arms. But the idea of it that his power was able to save, but our understanding. So here, God used a hand and wrote on the wall in order to get his message clearly to the person that he wanted the message to see, uh, which is also us today. We get to see the benefit of what happened with Nebuchadnezzar, knowing that we never want to see 
a hand writing on the wall with bad news concerning us. How do you avoid getting bad news from God? Obey, trust and obey. Read, listen to the spoken word, read the written word. In John 1, this is classic from the New Testament. In the beginning was the word, which in Greek is ho ha logos, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I wasn't alive back in those days either in Koine Greek, so I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce all of it, but I can read it uh, well enough. And the word was with God, the logos was with God, and the logos, the word, was God. So now God is calling his son Jesus the word. He is the word of God, and it says in verse uh Well, verse two says, and in the beginning, he was there in the beginning with God. Remember, God says, let us make man in our image. This gives us some insight. So now I'm cross-referencing Genesis to John one, which John has a lot of similarities uh, to Genesis as he begins writing here. Uh, So there's a lot of good connections to better understand one and the other. Uh, Good tip for you when you're reading Genesis, Uh, read John as well. And verse 14, and the logos became flesh so we know clearly it's talking about jesus the word the written word of god maybe not written word but he did write some things when he wrote in the sand once uh and the word became flesh and dwelt among us see what i did there i made another cross reference to another verse i wasn't even thinking about that uh so thank you lord the word became flesh and tabernacled or dwelt among us so mankind lived with god's word Let's look in Revelation. We'll jump to the end. So I went to the angel telling him to give me that little book that he had seen earlier was being held by an angel. And he said to me, take it and eat it. Eat the words of God. And I took the little book or scroll and I ate it. And in my mouth, it was sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. So it was good going in, bad on the other end. Uh, might have been a, a bad message, but we don't even know what it said because he was forbidden to, te- for, to, to tell us what. This is John, by the way, the Apostle John, who was on Patmos, caught up into heaven, and Jesus was giving him the scoop on how the end was going to come about in a very uh, poetic way. So, so we're reading the words of God about the words of God in verse 11. And they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. It sounds like that prophecy was not very good because it made his stomach bitter. Has God ever told you something, impressed upon you something that hearing it was great because I'm, I'm, I'm hearing from God. But the, the truth of the message, maybe you would need to pass on to somebody else, maybe uh, your kid or maybe their, their spouse, the in-law. It's better to give bad news to the in-law than to your child. But especially your child, that's terrible. And the, the message is, is difficult to say. And you don't want to because you don't want to have a problem with your coworker or with your um, friend at the hobby thing or whatever. But you have God's word for them, a message for them. Maybe it's about salvation and how to get saved. And you know they don't want to hear it. But you know that God's impressed upon you that you would share his word that he has given to you to them. But you resist it. Why? Because you're afraid they're going to res- they're going to resist you. But really, who are they resisting? God and God must be okay with that because he still wants you to take his message that he's given you universally or maybe a specific message to that individual like why do you use God's name in vain so much we work together I'm around you all the time and I have to be around you but I worship God in such a way that I I, I hate hearing you drag his name through the mud I, I was just wondering if maybe you could honor his name with me and let me tell you why 
That leads to other conversations maybe a week and uh, months later. But that's the way that God gives you his word and you share his word. God gives you Jesus to empower you to do that. God's word. So basically that ends up what Paul says in Colossians that Christ in you, that God puts his word in you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. You are God's plan to further his message and maybe several different messages to other people. And if you remain silent, what happens? God's going to have to use somebody else because God's will will be done. But he wants to partner with you. What if you had the opportunity to work for the best boss in the world and have the best assignments in the world and you resist them? You don't even want to know what they are because you're afraid you either can't do them or it'll cost you too much. Christ in you is the hope of glory. That means the word of God, that little key or chi, however you would pronounce that, is for Christ inside of you. I don't mean it to look like an emblem on a t-shirt, but inside of you. Christ is in you, and that is the hope of glory, and you have an assignment. So when people read into you, what do they see? Do they see Jesus? Do they see Christ? Or do they see more of the old you that you're trying to get rid of, but that keeps surfacing up? And like Pastor Jarrett just preached and will again in the next service, sometimes we're tempted for our own selfishness to keep that old self alive and well and resuscitated. Um, do people see that in you? Like when you're at church, you're one way, but when you go to work, you're dragging God's name through the mud like all the other guys just to, to fit in? Or do they see Christ in you? even to the point that maybe it makes them a little uncomfortable. Or maybe some people are like, thank you for saying that. I've been thinking the same thing. I just didn't want to engage, but thank you for doing that. I'm impressed. I need to do that more often. You've inspired me. You've encouraged me to take Christ and to share him more. So we have a lot of work to do. Uh, Jeremiah 31, 33 is a great verse that says, I will put my law in their inward parts and I will write it in their hearts. Christ in you, written in you, and uh, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This means that you're connected. If you're not receiving Christ, if you don't have Christ in you, if you're not motivated to then share Christ, perhaps Christ is not in you, and that might be a, the reason, and it might be an issue, something that you'll want to take care of by asking for God's forgiveness and asking him to come into you so that you can do his bidding, do his will, trust and obey. So our second point for home right here, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, be acceptable to you in, this is King James Version, in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let the words of my mouth and even the things that I'm thinking, that they would be acceptable and pleasing to you. So when I let them out, they're acceptable and pleasing to other people. They're helpful to other people. If I had a balloon right here full of water, we call that a water balloon. And if I popped it, what would come out? Water. What if I filled it with Diet Mountain Dew, which I love? What if I filled it up with Diet Mountain Dew and popped it? What would come out? So Diet Mountain Dew. Some of you said water. That is not correct. <laughs> the right answer is Diet Mountain Dew if it's filled with Diet Mountain Dew. Whatever is inside the balloon... When when tragedy or struggle comes, the, the needle that pops it, what comes out? Whatever is inside. So if you're full of Jesus Christ, when the difficulties and the, the problems come, the little points of life, what comes out? You stump your toe and you say, oh, I love it when that happens because it makes me think that I need to be redeemed and I need to think the right thing. Yeah? 
Or do you stump your toe and you say, boop? That just might mean that's what's inside. And you need to get that out. The only way to get it out is to replace it with something else. So how many of you have to bleep what? No, don't tell me that. You might have to replace it with with more of Christ in you, the hope of glory, to displace the things that you don't want in there. And you know what? God can do that and take those things away. The thinking, the thoughts, the words, the experiences, the traditions that are bad. God can remove all of that and replace it with him so that when appointed situation comes, you're ready to respond. You have the verses already in your mind. And when you don't, the Holy Spirit brings them to your mind because you memorized them at an earlier time and God was able to bring them up. Okay. Uh, so we, that's the first one. God speaks. Number two, man speaks. That's you. So if you weren't paying attention up to here, now you need to pay attention because you, man, woman, you are here and we love to speak, don't we? Now, some of you are introverts and you don't really like to talk to other people, but you like to have your way and and make your way known, whether it be subtle or very, very uh, obnoxiously, as uh, some people do. So this is the second point. Man speaks and uh, the alert is there's real trouble ahead because this is what gets us in trouble sometimes. When we speak to God, what is that called? Prayer. We already talked about that. And when we speak to one another, what is that called? What is it? conversation we were conversing but when we converse what are, what are we doing we're either building somebody up or we're tearing them down rarely is it neutral sometimes it could be neutral but mostly we're either tearing them up or tearing them down right so what should we be doing as fellow brothers and sisters in christ or even christians to non-christians encourage one another to love and to good deeds hebrews 10 24 25 26 somewhere in there so yes we have the responsibility to be building people up let's just stop for a second and think over the past week the people that you've encountered let's exclude well, let's include family family friends co-workers whatever can you think does anything jump out at you as a negative tearing down conversation that you're kind of regretting right now that we're talking about it you wish you hadn't come to church now Can you think of any positive, not just like, hey, how are you doing? But do you really go out of your way to encourage someone to build them up in Christ? That's a great memory. That's something to hold on to, something to encourage you. Now, if, let's say, Gwen, you have done that this week, and perhaps you did. um, What if you were to share that with somebody else on this side of the room? Because they're a little slower and they take a little more time. So maybe you shared with them and they they said, wow. That's a really good idea. I never thought about that. I could do that with the guy I work for. Thank you for sharing that. What has she done? She's just encouraged someone to love and to good deeds by giving some advice or or an example of how she did something good. Unless you're just thinking, well, aren't you a goody two-shoes? Well, aren't you special? Oh, yeah, you're, you're doing all the good stuff, and I'm probably not. Are you probably looking at me with the stink eye? <laughs> okay, that's a bad attitude, <laughs> But if you have that attitude, it's something you need to change. But if Gwen's going to share with you and give you some good ideas, maybe she is bragging a little, but she shouldn't be. It still gives you some good ideas. We need to be sharing with one another what we're doing in life to encourage other people. The one big reason that you don't encourage someone with how you've encouraged someone else is why. Perhaps perhaps you've not encouraged anyone. Perhaps you don't have a story to tell. So whenever I'm speaking, I'm always looking the week before for good stories to tell. I'm ready to do all the good stuff so I have good stories to tell that back up what I'm talking about. I don't have one right now for this one, but 
it motivates me if I know that I'm teaching or going to be talking about it or going to the uh, other church talking about marriage. I'm the best husband to my wife because I want good stories. I'm motivated to love and to good deeds. Do you see how that works? I mean, that is good practical teaching. We need to be encouraging each other. We need to be being held as expectant to do those things. And who expects it most of all? God. And if you're in his word, studying his word, even this with this better Bible study, then you're motivated to do the things that God is saying right there in his word. That's why it's incumbent upon you to jump in there and to read God's word. So that's encouraging one another. Let's jump over to prayer where I'm talking to God. So when I talk to God, um, this is one of the most confusing things in scripture, I think. And I, I know I talk a lot about prayer, but I want to take just a moment and let's hit this real quick. Um, there are several scriptures I'm going to throw up and I'm going to read them that talks about the, the process and the protocols that we need in order to talk to God. Here's one in Mark 11:24. Therefore, I tell you, so Jesus is telling us, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So if you're trying to write some cliff notes of how your prayer could be heard by God and received and perhaps acted upon, what are the key elements here? That you have to ask for it and you have to believe that you've already received it. I hear people on the internet talking about this kind of stuff all the time. You got to believe. You got to already believe that God's going to give it to you. And if God's going to give it to you, God's going to give it to you if you just believe it. And then when God doesn't give it to you, what do you think? Maybe I didn't believe it. I got to do better. I got to try harder. That's not the God that we serve. That's not the way that he's trying to get us to bring us along. He's not baiting us with this carrot that we're trying to grab and we just always out of reach. And he, he, God's just trying to see if you'll just keep on going. That's not the God that we, that we serve. But when you read this, you kind of think that, don't you? That's why prayer is so confusing. Let's look at Matthew 21 two. It says, and Jesus answered them. Truly, I say to you, if you have faith, here's a new word, and don't doubt, it's a uh, common word there with that uh, associated, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, which Jesus shriveled up, you not only have the ability to shrivel up fig trees, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. Sounds pretty good. This is great. Verse 22, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So now it got a little easier. I don't have to believe that's already going to happen. I just have to trust God. That's what faith is, pistis. I'm going to trust God that he is going to do it and it'll all be taken care of. Well, I heard Mark say a few weeks ago, how many mountains have you seen thrown into the uh, ocean? How many? I've not seen any. (laughs) If you have, we could talk later. (laughs) But uh, no, I've never seen that. Yeah, it's a figurative language. But the point is, big things can happen when you ask. And you've probably asked for big things. And sometimes they might happen and sometimes they won't. And we have a way of kind of putting it all together so that God wins. Have you ever noticed that? It's what Mark talks about, uh, confirmation bias. Uh, I even have a pair of sunglasses that he gave me that have confirmation bias on them. I should have brought them. That uh, you, you look at things that you want to happen, that you believe should happen, and you find ways to make it work so that it looks like that it did happen or that you believe that it does happen. Uh, you shouldn't apply that to God. God's either going to do what he's going to do or he's not. But you need to be the one following and, and, and serving him, not trying to get him to do what you want just to see maybe if he will or because you really think that you need it. And maybe you do, but if you need it, guess what? If you need it, God's got it for you. If you need it, 
would God keep any gift that was necessary for you? Would he keep it away from you? Unless he's trying to teach you a lesson, which in that case, you didn't need it in order for you to learn the lesson. But if you need it, if you really need it, God's going to give it to you. Jesus told a whole parable about that in Matthew. You should read it sometime. Uh, another verse, Matthew 7. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open. That sounds very easy. I just got to seek. I got to knock. I got I to gotta put a little action to it. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. This is kind of figurative language too. And what it doesn't, what you don't get out of it. If you just read it at face value, you don't understand that you can seek But what you find may be what God has for you and not exactly what you're seeking, but what God wants you to find. Does that make sense? There's a difference there that you're still getting. This is still true. You're still getting you're still knocking and the door is open and you're like, I thought God was going to open a door. He hadn't. So I'm waiting for the window. You know, that's bad theology, too. If God closes the door, look for a window. Uh, If God wants you to have it, then you'll have it. But if just because the door opens and it makes sense to you, like, oh, my goodness, this is exactly what would make sense in my life. Of course, this is what God wants. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's what God has for you just because the door is open. But a cursory reading of this verse would be, well, the first door I see that's open and it makes sense in my mind, especially when I'm wearing my confirmation bias glasses, then I'm going to go and take that job or I'm going to do that thing or I'm going to take that vacation or, or whatever it is, even though I can't afford it. Uh, I've worked it all out and, and, and they emailed me one more time. So that door has opened. I know that I'm supposed to spend the money that I don't have to go on the vacation so I can enjoy it, even though uh, God must have opened the door, which is not true. So these are very confusing in that sense, again, we're talking about communication, and now I'm, I'm talking to God, and I'm expecting him to respond. First uh, John 5, and this is the confidence, confidence, that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, that's something new, anything according to his will, he hears us, and we know, if, if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So if we know that he hears it, we know he's going to give it to us and it, we and we have to pray according to God's will. So now we're asking, and I heard this a lot of times in prayers, God, I pray that it's your will that, and you tell God what you want his will to be. <laughs> that does not work. <laughs> On the other hand, what should you be doing? Asking God, what is? Y'all aren't following me. God, what is? Yes. Oh, you are following me. That That should be the first question. Instead of, you know, praying the prayer and at the end of it, and God, whatever happens, your will be done. That, that's been exemplified, and, and people pray that way, and it's not horrible. But what if you were to flip that, and at the very beginning, you started off with, and God, I want your will done in my life, because I know that you're in me. And I know that you have a plan for my life. I know that you love me. I know you're faithful to me, even when I'm not faithful. This is my prayer. God, I want to know what your will is. And it might hurt. It, it, may, it may make me crazy. It may make me mad initially. But I want to know what is your will. Wouldn't that be the best thing in the world to know? If you want to know anything, know what God's will is. God, I want to, I want to know that my kids love me and, and, and respect me. Well, that may not be the most important thing. God, what is your will for me? in my situation, and with my kids. So, what do we want? If we're going to ask God for anything, the question is, well, what do we want? Well, I can make a big list, or I can go back to, God, what is your will? Because I want to I want, want what you want. And I don't always, but I want to want what you want. 
And I want to know what that is. And I know that you've been really good at communicating for years. Sometimes I'm a little slow in receiving, decoding the message. But God, I'm asking you to give me the right decoding equipment in order to understand you, to know your will. Every morning when you wake up, what should you ask for? God's will. Because if you know God's will, then you're doing what he wants you to do. And if it lines up with what you want to do, that means you're maturing in your faith. And now the things that you want are the things that God wants. So now these other verses begin to make more sense that I want what God wants. My will is God's will. So what I want and what I'm asking for, and I'm believing God because I know that he already said he wants it. And I have faith and trust that he's going to do it because I already know that he wants it. These verses have just made a whole new meaning. We're studying the Bible, aren't we? And we're taking face value verses and we're taking them to a deeper level. And now they make sense in the economy of God. And I've taken off my confirmation bias glasses to please myself. And I'm focused on God. That's really the point. That's the point of everything we talk about, right? There's a, a book, a new book out called Answering Speech. Uh, I was very impressed as, as I've read part of this book of some of the things that this author is saying, Daniel Brensell. Uh, and here's a quote from his book. He says, prayer is not trying to twist God's arm to do something we have first conceived of. Prayer is not pleading with a God who is not already there to somehow show up. Prayer is not enticing a silent God to finally speak. Rather, prayer is always and properly our response to God's initiating work and word. As a result, what is essential in prayer is not that we learn to express ourselves, but that we learn to answer God. If you want to take a picture of that quote, I'll put it back up for you just for a second. Uh, Here's the first part of it. But uh, I was very impressed on hearing this because this is not what a lot of people are talking about. A lot of people are talking about God's got the best things. He wants you to be happy. He wants the best for you. And you just got to ask him. Ask not, have not from James chapter, uh, I think it's four. Ask not, have not. That's not what that means. And uh, he talks about it in the book. And the second part of the quote of rather what we should be focusing on in regard to communicating with God. Um, The name of the book is Answering Speech. And uh, I would, so far, I would definitely suggest that you check that out. I will continue to. But here's your point for home. Responding to God is exactly what Isaiah did. And I used this uh, example before because it's so perfect. Isaiah goes to church uh, at a difficult time because the king had died. Uh, Perhaps he was going to mourn or or, or pray. (coughs) Excuse me. And when he got there, the, the glory of the Lord had filled the temple. It was an amazing scene that he was confronted with God. And to the point that he realized how sinful he was. He hadn't even realized that until he was face to face with the glory of God. And, and, and as a result, he said, he confessed, I, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. As he confessed, he was forgiven because the, the angel brought the, the ember and purged his lips. And then, the, then the, the call went out. The message went out to Isaiah and said, well, who will go for us and who shall we send? We have an assignment. We need someone to go. Isaiah never before was able to respond better than he ever was now at this point. Because he had confessed, he had been forgiven, he was in a place of seeing and hearing God and clearly, and God sent him to do the, his message through Isaiah.
So, two out of three, wrapping up. Uh, last one, who's listening? If, if God's doing all the talking and we're doing all the talking, who's listening? Well, let's look at that real quick. This brings us to a fork in the road. <clears throat> I'll leave that up if you want to take a picture. I'm kidding. This is the fork that I was really referring to. And in this fork, you have a decision to make. We all do. And uh, here's the best way I can illustrate it, that the way that most people go, in, in my experience, is the, hey, we're speaking, mankind, we are speaking. God is silent, so we're just waiting. We're just waiting on him. In the meantime, we're just waiting. We're speaking, we're telling God, and we're waiting on him. The path less traveled is God is speaking, we're listening, and we're obeying. God's in charge. We're trying to find out what his plan and message is. So we're listening. Who's listening? We're expecting God to do a lot of listening. Because have you ever heard yourself pray? I think your prayer request will reveal which fork you've taken. If you bow your head and you tell God, uh, love you so much, you're so great, and I've got some things, I've got some people I want to pray for and some things I need, uh, which you're saying it more um, prayerfully and, and nicely, but I'm just running cursory going over it, uh, and this, this, and this, and uh, really be great if this and that, and uh, this is going on, and that's not good, so need some help there, and uh, I'm, I'm going to thank you for your promises in advance. I know you're awesome, you're great, you're powerful, love you in Jesus' name, amen, and then click, we go off and do something else, and God is doing what? Well, he's trying, but we're not listening, and almost every prayer that we do, now some of you have a special prayer time, and maybe you sit in silence, which is highly recommended to allow God to speak to you. But even better than that, read your Bible. After you pray, God, I want to know what your will is. I want to be your your clean, prepared servant. Show me, teach me, amen. That's the only prayer you really need. Because if you seek God first in his righteousness, what happens? Everything else will be what? Be taken care of. That's really all you need. So like Mark did, he has three categories. There are people that listen to God faithfully, people that ignored God, and people who... Uh, there's a combo of the both. There's probably more combos than anything. But Abraham is a really good example. Read Abraham for a good devotion on someone who obeyed God even when it did not make sense and he did not want to do it. He still obeyed. And in Hebrews 11, it says it was a credit to him as righteousness that he trusted God. He did. He took action with what God was telling him to do. Rehoboam is Solomon's son. He's a man that Solomon's wisdom should have been passed down and it was not. That's on Solomon. But Rehoboam had the chance to do the right thing when the counselors came and said, I know you're thinking about this, but you should do that. He did this because he wanted to stick it to him. And uh, he ignored God and made a life of it. It was a terrible king. Jonah is a good example of the combo. Said no, said no. God gave him a second chance. That's grace. Threw him into the, the ocean and had him swallowed by a well and the digestive juices and all that goes on with that. That's grace. And when he vomited him back on the shore, Jonah was like, okay, we'll give it a try. He still had problems, uh, didn't want to do it. And uh, as a result, um, the, the whole city repented, sackcloth and ashes. Generations later, they went back to doing their own evil stuff. But that generation was saved. That's good news. Uh, in the New Testament, Mary and Joseph, they listened to God in a difficult situation. Joseph was ready to do things his own way, but in a nice way. And the angel said no. This is what you should do. You're going to have to stick with it. Go through the issue. Uh, the rich young ruler is an example of someone who just ignored God. He turned away sad because God, Jesus told him what to do. Specifically, here it is. Here's my will for your life. And he said, no, that's too hard. I'm not going to do that. You know, I got a lot of money. 
And then Peter is a good combo, back and forth, you know, messing up, doing it right, messing up and doing it right. And so here's a good example from Mark 11, if we'll be scriptural about it. When Jesus prayed for Peter, he, he, Peter was about to deny Jesus three times and Jesus was telling him about it. But he said to, to Peter, Simon, Simon, Peter, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. And that does not sound good. But I have prayed for you. How about that? Do you know Jesus is praying for you? And what is Jesus's prayer? We, in fact, know what Jesus prayed for Peter. Did Jesus pray that Satan would be bound and unable to touch Peter? Did he? No. If Jesus is going to be praying for me, I would expect him to pray the right prayer. I could give him some suggestions, but it says uh, that Jesus prayed. I prayed for you, Peter. He told Peter that your faith may not fail in the midst of your terrible situation. Of being accused and uh, thought of the wrong side of the group when they you're siding with me and decide not to. Through all of that, I'm praying that your faith will continue because it's going to be rough. It's going to be hard. So that's the prayer that Jesus is praying for you. That your faith will withhold even through the valley, the shadow of the valley of death. The difficult situation. So he's not taking those away always. Sometimes he may and that's fine. Uh, but in this case, Peter is not. And, and, then he, and then he went on and encouraged Peter. He said, and when you have uh, turned again back to me, strengthen your other brothers. Because now that test has given you a testimony that you can encourage others about how you messed it up. But Jesus prayed that my faith would hold on and maybe by fire did. And as a result, has a great testimony. So our point for home, Jesus prays for us. That's awesome and incredible. So we're going to wrap up in the couple of minutes that we have left and look at an exercise in reading the Bible. Something about a cursory passage on prayer that you might get the wrong idea. But if you really study God's word, you can see what it really means. This is the point of better Bible study. This is a great example. Nothing more than an example. James the brother of Jesus, he wrote a book in the Bible. In James chapter 5, well, through the whole book, he says a lot about prayer. Chapter 1, 4, and 5. Um, here in first, uh, chapter 5, verse uh, 15, 16, it says, Therefore, uh, James is uh, telling the, his readers, And you, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed, because the prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. How many of you have claimed that verse, quoted it, Said it, you know it, you've memorized it perhaps. You're seeing it now and you're like, I need to memorize that one. Yes, sir. The righteous, the prayer of a righteous person. Okay, that might be a little hard. I got to be righteous. But it has great power in its working. And then James in the next verse gives an example of what he's talking about. This is extremely confusing, but you may not know it is. I'm just telling you in advance. Verse 17, James goes on. He says, hey, imagine Elijah. He was a man with a nature just like us. He's just a regular guy like you and me. And God used him in a, in a great way. Here's an example. Elijah prayed fervently, which is a word that James just used about fervent prayer, that it might not rain for three and a half years. And it did not rain on the earth. Someone's wondering uh, who's been praying, what Elijah's been praying here about no rain. <clears throat> three and a half years in this case. In verse 18, James continues to use it as an illustration. He says, then Elijah... Elijah says, he prayed again, Elijah prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. 
Is there Elijah in the room that could pray again for us today to go ahead and when we before we leave today that it's just pouring down rain? I don't know. Uh, if if it starts raining, I want to talk to you. Um, but let's look at what this means, because this is the example that James gave. But have you read first Kings, the actual account of what happened with Elijah? This will give huge insight as to what is going on here that you do not get from a cursory reading. In fact, cursory, we're just looking at this and we're saying the, the prayer of a righteous man avails much. Here, Elijah, he went up and just said, you know what? I'm going to pray it doesn't rain for three and a half years. God, please make it happen. And boom, it did. And then three and a half years later, I decided, you know what? I'm going to let it rain. So, dear Lord, okay, hit it now. And boom, it rained. How powerful is that? And how amazing is that? And we're like, we want that. But is that really what happened? Stick with me. Don't leave because this is mind-blowing. First Kings 17.1. We'll rush through it. But uh, let me read. Now, Elijah, we're talking about the same guy that James was referring back to. Uh, the Tishbite said to Ahab... As the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Elijah's uh, explaining it. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. So Elijah is hearing what God is saying. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. Depart from here and turn eastward. He's telling him exactly what to do. And hide yourself in the brook uh, Cherith, maybe, uh, which is east of the Jordan. And you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So Elijah, stuff's going to get rough. I'm going to be there taking care of you. Go to this exact place at this exact time. Elijah is listening to what? God's will. It gets even more pronounced. Moving on in verse 5. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He was obeying what God was telling him to the letter. And he went and he lived there by the brook. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning. They brought him bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, guess what? Well, the brook dried up. Of course, because it's not raining for three and a half years. Because there was no rain. Well, it says it in the land. So this is all making sense. But God is still taking care of Elijah because Elijah is seeking God's will. He's hearing God's will and he's doing God's will. Now, it gets even better. We're going to jump to uh, chapter 18, verse 40. It says, after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. So now God's given him the rest of the story. In the third year, how long is it not going to rain? Three and a half. We're in the third year, somewhere in that third year. So it could be close to three and a half. Uh, he He says to Elijah, go show yourself to Ahab. Go talk to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. Who decided it's going to rain again? God and God's telling Elijah. So let's let's keep tracking with this, okay? And Elijah said to Ahab, he went and did what God said. He went to Ahab and he said, "Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of rain, uh, the sound of rushing of rain." It hadn't rained yet, and I don't know if he actually was hearing the sound, but by faith, he was telling Ahab, "It's about to rain again." And Ahab had probably been praying for rain for three and a half years. Uh, he's telling him this news, and. Verse 42, Ahab went up and he ate and he drank and Elijah went up to the mountaintop of Mount Carmel and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. What is Elijah doing? Say it. He is praying. What is Elijah praying? God, make it rain. (laughs) I've already talked to Ahab. We need it to rain. God, make it rain. But what has God told Elijah? It's going to rain. What is Elijah doing? 
He is praying the will of God. He already knows it's going to happen. And now he's praying that God's will be done. Jesus talked about that in the model prayer. And now Elijah is living, well, he doesn't live it out. He's proving it uh, post facto, ex post facto. And so here he's, he's, he's praying and he's saying, God, you're the faithful God. You're going to do what you say. I pray that your will be done. I'm thankful that I'm a part of this and I get to tell Ahab and, and see it all. So uh, Elijah is, is praying the will of God. And he said to his servant, Elijah says to his servant, go up now toward the sea. And he went up and he looked because they're looking for the, the storm clouds. And the servant said, there is nothing. And he said to his servant, go again. And they did this seven times, maybe over seven days, maybe over seven weeks. I do not know. But he was ready for it to rain. He'd already told everyone, and he's praying God's will be done. God has already said that it would be done. There's no question that it is going to rain, and that is what Elijah is praying. He spends his time praying for what he already knows is going to happen. This literally is praying God's will, which is exactly what we're required to do by God himself. This is a beautiful example of it. And then verse 44, and at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a Man's hand was rising up from the sea like a little cloud. And and he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. You know, chariots would get stuck in the mud. Go ahead and get a head start because what God said is going to happen, it's finally getting to that point that it is going to happen. And in a little while, the heavens grew black and the clouds and the wind, and there was a great rain. Now, would you have gotten any of this after reading James, what James said? totally different perspective now that I have done better Bible study and I went back and I searched out and I found out what was going on. And now I see the prayer of a righteous man is a man praying God's will, a man so close to God that you're hearing God and you're following God. And you may not get it right every time, but you're desiring that and you're praying that that happens in your life. It's not that we just decide we want to do something and show up everybody. Instead, we're showing that we are following God and we're doing his will because he's first. Lord, teach me. So we've already talked about all the points for home. We went through them each. If you want to, oops, if you want to take a picture of all of them together, there they are. In the meantime, I'm going to pray us out with a prayer of asking the Lord for him to do exactly what he did with Elijah. Our Heavenly Father, as we leave this place today, as we go and we continue to be inspired by your word, by encouragement, by music, by teaching, I pray that you would be revealing yourself to us, that your will would absolutely be known in each of our lives, and it might be something different for each of us. There might be some commonalities, that you would group us together, that we'd be able to serve you together, maybe in our fellowship groups, maybe in our uh, uh, bridge club, or maybe at work in the prayer meeting that we have before work, or or maybe the one that we're going to start so that we can gather together in your name and seek the one thing that we need to know. What is it? that you want and allow us to effectively communicate to you as we allow you to speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.